So I invite you today to turn to the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5, is where we're going to be today. This is the 27th message that I have had the privilege to preach on the book of James, and the 27th opportunity that you have had to show grace to listen to all of these. But this is it. This is the end of James today. And you say, what are we going to do next week? Well, you have to come back and find out. But it has been a privilege to open this book of the Word of God with you and to just see what, what is it that God has to teach us about how our faith works. How do the things of, of God have an impact on the practical, everyday aspects of our life? Because an eternal relationship with God does have a practical outworking in our lives. You cannot be changed internally without the external being affected. And, and God, through his word, through, through the half-brother of Jesus, James, has been very specific in how we address some of these areas of our lives, even some things that we all struggle with. And we'll talk about that at the end today as we kind of wrap things up. But here today, we're in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, as James talks about on his last last two verses here, what we have as verses, his last uh, few words, on the work of the church. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Father, we thank you for the few minutes now we have to open your word, and we ask that as we do so, you would help us to have quiet hearts and minds, that you would speak to us today through your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way today, Lord. I don't, I don't want this to be about my thoughts or anyone else's thoughts. We just want to know what you have said in your word, as that's the primary focus of what we do here. We ask that you would teach us, that you convict us, that you would draw us to yourself, and that we would walk out of this place different than we came in today because we have heard your truth proclaimed, and the Holy Spirit has applied it to our hearts. We ask that you would be given the honor, the glory, and the freedom to do your will in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. It has been said that the two greatest impressions that you ever get to make are your first and your last. How you start and how you finish in any setting in life are of great importance. So would you imagine with me for just a minute what it's like to open and close a letter that's preserved for thousands of years as a part of God's Word? Talk about pressure. And that's what we have before us today. We have the end of the book of James. Now, it's a blessing that James didn't have to worry about that on his own because he had the Holy Spirit guiding him in the things that he should write. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he now comes to the end of this letter, or really more it's like a sermon that's written. And this letter that was written to Jewish Christians in James' day has not lacked for action. In fact, half of the verses of the book of James contain imperative verbs. From the very beginning of the letter, James has shown us that, the, that Christians have much to do for the Lord, and the Lord has much to do in their lives. And so here, as James closes the letter, he talks about that, that, that which Christ established when he ascended back into heaven, the church, his body. 
The church, James teaches us here, it doesn't exist to just look pretty. It doesn't exist just to facilitate your social life. The church is a living organism that is vital to the life of a believer and in which each Christian plays a part. And so as James has written to the church scattered abroad and his brethren that are scattered abroad and who come to know the Lord, and as James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem speaking even to his own people, it is very fitting that the last words of James are on the work of the church. The community of believers is expected to live in a certain way towards each other as we seek to live for the Lord. And so what we see here today is this. The church is a community of accountability, help, and support for believers in a light of the gospel to a lost world. If you went around today in society in general and asked people, what is the church? Probably most people in general the general society would point to a building. Well, it's that place down the street, or it's the place my grandmother goes, or it's the place that that I went when I was a kid, or or the building I go to every other weekend, or whatever it may be. And even as Christians, we may have an understanding of what the church is. It's a building, or it's a people, or but the church really is more than just a place, and it's more than, 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 than just belonging to something. It's a community of accountability, of help and support. It's a light of the gospel in a dark world. So let's unpack these two verses today and see what is this ministry of the church that James speaks about as he closes his letter and he challenges his uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that's what he begins in verse 19. He uses this phrase again, brethren. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, people that, that he is intimately connected to because of a relationship that they share with God. And what he says in verse 19 is that there is a ministry of the church in what I call intervention in the lives of other people. Because James speaks here of someone who has wandered from God. And it's interesting. I mean, James doesn't use flowery language when he closes this letter. If you look throughout the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, and you look at these things, sometimes you see this. There's very long um, uh, um, closings of letters because there's friends he wants to say goodbye to or or greet or, or these sorts of things. And James doesn't do that. He ends the letter the way he began it. This is what you need to do. This is how you serve the Lord. And his final words to the church have to do with how the church is to operate towards each other. And as we said a minute ago, the church is a community. And the church isn't limited to a local body of believers. It is is worldwide because all who know Christ as Savior are part of God's church. Now, but at the same time, this this global or, or, or broader church is manifested locally in, in gatherings of believers. Today, we sit in a church building as a local manifestation of the church of God, but the church is made up of all those who know Jesus Christ. So these general principles that apply to the church as a whole apply to local churches as well because we are seeking to live out the, the, the way that God has called us to live. And what James communicates here to the church is their duty that they have to one another. What does he bring up here? He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. He brings up an instance of one who has wandered from God. When he talks about the truth, he's talking about wandering away from from God. He's talking about wandering away from the whole of the gospel. Again, when we think of the gospel, maybe initially we think of the work 
the life and work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the core and the essence of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners from sin. But the gospel is so much more than a punch card to get you out of hell. The gospel is a confession of Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. It is a calling to new life. It is empowerment by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to live that new life. And as James has said all throughout this, this, these five chapters, this is how it works. This is what it looks like. This is, we said at the very beginning, James is the gospel in overalls. Just down to earth, very, hey, this is how it is. And here's James again saying, this is how it is. There's, there's one who has wandered away from the gospel. The mark of a Christian is living out the ramifications of the gospel. And James has combated sin time and again, and he's commanded time and again obedience to God. He's not held back. He's been very specific in his commands and admonitions. And here's the question, why? Why is James, under inspiration of God, so specific about these things? I think it's because we struggle. Do you struggle? Or am I the only one? Do Christians struggle to obey God? Absolutely. We struggle. We live with the, even as as redeemed men and women, we live with this flesh, this old self that likes to do sinful things. So there are times in our lives when we give in to the wrong or the other desires and we begin to go astray. You see, the walk towards Christian maturity is an ongoing endeavor. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, be walking in the Spirit. It's not, it's not a one-time action. It's a continual, daily, moment-by-moment decision to continue to follow after God. Not for salvation, but for sanctification and growth in Him. There are times when we will be distracted by other things in our lives, and we'll experience the consequences of our own sin. There will be times of struggle and blindness to our own sin as well. We've also observed throughout this letter the possibility of those who are within a church who do not know the Lord. Because if one is not at all concerned with the things of God, there is something amiss in that person's life. If you could truly live your life having nothing to do with God and it not bother you, then my friend, you may not know the Lord. Because the heart of the Christian beats after his Lord. And and no Christian, as Charles Spurgeon said, God does not allow his people to sin successfully. No Christian can live at odds with God and be at peace with God. The Christian longs to be like him, like God, and has the Holy Spirit to lead him to that end. And in fact, it is a fact that these things will come to God's own and into the church. There will be those who wander from the truth of the gospel and will instead live for themselves their own pleasures and not for the things of God. It's very easy for us to say, yeah, there'll be those. You know what happens? Sometimes we are those, right? Who wander from these things. The question becomes, what is the church to do? What are believers to do when there are those in their life who have wandered from the things of God and want nothing to do with the things of God, though they claim to be children of God? Because here, we often, you know, throw that verse out, right? Well, Jesus says in Matthew, 
judge not that you be not judged. So it's not your job to go around and judge people. But you know, James just says this isn't a case here. In fact, there's an accountability level of a church, of people in God's church to other people in God's church as we continue as a community to try to grow together. James says we have a responsibility to help those who have wandered from the truth, from the gospel. It is a solemn duty of Christians to help one another turn their hearts to the Lord. And so what we see here is there's a turning to God in this verse. James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. A local body of believers is responsible to care for one another. I mean, that is the expectation of the body of Christ as a whole, but then we see it specifically manifested in a local body of believers. And typically when we think about this idea of caring for one another, we think about physical care. I mean, our family, just a few weeks ago, um, we welcomed our fourth baby into our home, fourth child, our, our third daughter. And I think of the care our family received. You know, people showing up on our doorstep with meals and, and people asking if we need anything, people from the church and the generous gifts that you gave to our family during that time. And, and we think about the physical care. And, and can we just be honest for a minute? Physical care for other people is way easier than spiritual care. Because it's easier to take somebody a meal, to give them a ride, to help with their kids or other things. And, and, and those things might be inconvenient, right? It may be hard for us to, 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 to make a meal in addition to what we're doing. It may be difficult for us to find time to, to help someone who's genuinely in need. But, but at the end of the day, meeting a physical need is much easier than meeting a, a spiritual need in someone's life. He's calling, what James is calling for isn't, isn't meeting physical needs. It's watching out for the spiritual condition of others in the church. He's calling on Christians, on believers, to be tuned in with one another in their lives. James speaks in verse 19 of turning someone back to the things of the Lord. James says there is a duty of believers to one another to bring back the wanderer. The one who is in sin, who is struggling with a relationship with God, should find accountability and help from fellow Christians. And this is not an easy thing. Because it means you have to have real conversation with people. It means you have to build real relationships with other people. It's not a surface level thing. It's an in-depth, get in your life, and it gets messy. It means laying out the truth, expressing love and concern with them. For in doing this, we must do it in a way that pleases God. Because, Because here's the thing. I think many a person has been turned off from the church general by a mishandling of such a situation. That, that someone takes the word of God and they see this, this, this solemn duty to turn people back to what is right and they take the word of God and they almost use it like a broadsword. They go out and they lop people's heads off with it. Well, if you don't do it this way, right? And, and it's really abrasive. And I get that. When we confront others in their sin... We must remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul said this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I want you to think back to what you know of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not hold back from saying hard things. 
Jesus said some very, very difficult things, some very pointed things to those who were in sin who should have known better as the religious leaders of Israel. But he always did it in a spirit of love. He always did it in, in, in his grace. If one strays from the things of God, others should be ready to rescue the wayward and bring him back into the fold. We read this morning from Matthew chapter 18, this parable that Jesus told of the straying sheep. That's not the, one, that's not the same parable as this parable of the lost sheep, which you find in, in Luke chapter 10. But what you find here is the parable of, of the straying sheep, who is one that belongs to God and has gone his own way. And so James says that there is a duty of believers to go and speak the truth. To, to, to bring back the wanderer, as we said from Paul, to speak the truth in love. And notice here what James does not say. James does not say, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, go and tell your pastor that he may bring him back in. What does he say? If, if, if one of you wanders, among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, the responsibility to do this doesn't belong to the pastor or to this, uh, some, some with certain qualifications, but it belongs to who? It belongs to all of God's people. As James talked about earlier, last time we looked at James, we looked at this idea of prayer, and he talks about the, the effective the prayer of a, of a righteous man, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man. And we talked about what is a righteous man, one who is right with God. So it's the duty of, of those who are walking with the Lord to have these interactions with other people. But often in a church, we relegate this to the pastor. Well, I mean, he's the one who goes and calls people out. He's the one who bashes them on the head. He's the one who... And do pastors do this sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On more than one occasion, I have had, I've had the, 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 the responsibility to share something with someone. Say, hey, this is something that's going on in your life. This is what God says. And because I love you and because I care for you, I'm going to tell you the truth of what God says. Not my opinion but what the Word of God says. Part of the role of the pastor is to minister to all, including those who are wayward and seek to draw them back, but it shouldn't be limited to a pastor. All those in the body of Christ, and specifically in a local manifestation of the church, should be involved in this. So what does this require? This requires, again, what we've said here before, the building of relationships with other people. It means investing in others. It's really hard to put your arm around somebody that you do not know. It's really hard to have this conversation with someone that you do not truly care about. You cannot show the love of Christ to someone speaking hard truths unless you've cultivated this with them. But there's another side. By the same token, you cannot expect this type of ministry to take place in your own life from others that you close yourself off to. Sometimes people say, you know, they say things like, well, I wish someone had told me that. I wish someone had ministered to me. I wish someone had done this and had done that. But they spent their entire, however last time, maybe they spent their entire life, or they spent big chunks of the last recent days, or whatever it is in their life, disconnecting themselves from the body of Christ. Wanting nothing to do with the people who God has put in their life to help. You and I can't have it both ways. If we want to benefit from the ministry of the church, if we want people to invest in us, if we want people to hold us accountable, we have to be invested. We have to be here. You cannot build community in isolation. And I think if, this is a bad thing to bring up, but if COVID taught us anything, 
That's one of the things it taught us, right? By necessity, we, we lived in isolation, really. How many of us felt disconnected from our community, from our local community? But, but let's go a step further. How many of us felt disconnected from the spiritual community that God had given us? And if we choose to isolate ourselves, if we choose to, to not engage with other people, if we, if we choose to, to, to rebuff the company and accountability of others, then we won't find that in our time of need. We must desire that accountability and that company of others and be willing to do the same because that is what community does. That's what family does. And James says that these actions of believers towards one another, that they don't go unnoticed. But there's a great blessing in the restoration of others. So in verse 20, we see not only is there this, this, this ministry of intervention, but there's this ministry of salvation that comes through the church by God. It says in verse 20, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There is an instrumental blessing in being involved in the life of someone else. Coming alongside an erring Christian and helping them return to God isn't an easy thing. I mean, generally, I, I hope that you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh man, I can't wait to confront somebody on their sin today. Okay, if that's how you live your life, you might want to check out some passages on the grace of God in your life. If we truly see ourselves the way God sees us, then we understand this, that first and foremost, you and I have a responsibility to examine our own hearts and lives before we go anywhere else. But God has given us this call to be willing to help others as well. And James says that if we are the instrument of this in the life of another, it is a good thing. Do you realize this? God doesn't need us. There's your encouraging truth for the day. But let's just think about it for a minute. God doesn't need us to do his work, does he? I mean, if God wanted to write it in the sky or, or you know, send messages, could he do that? Well, sure, he's God. But it's a great blessing and a privilege that God chooses to use us. And more than that, God's work can't be done without his servants in that he empowers them and shares with them these things, that he, that he gives them the word of God to share with other people. It's God's word that does the work, but he uses us to spread that word. God chooses to use us in his plan to minister to hearts and share the gospel, and in so doing, we experience then the blessing of God in our lives. We get to be used in the hands of God in such an incredible way, but we must remember that whatever we do for the Lord, it is God's work all along. Again, I refer you to something Paul said. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. The church in Corinth had all kinds of issues. One of the issues that they had was they had favorite preachers. Some like Paul, some like Apollos, some, you know, this is who I follow, this is who I follow. And, and, and Paul says to them, hey, it's not about us, it's about God. That, 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 yes, God may use a, a certain person in your life in a great way to, to help you grow in the Lord, but at the end of the day, it's not about that person, it's about the Lord. When we recognize this, 
that it is God's work. When you recognize that it is God's word and God's work that he must do in the heart of another person, you know what that does? That takes the pressure off of you. You don't have to twist somebody's arm. You just have to show them the truth. When we realize that it's God's word and God's spirit that does the work, it frees us up to just speak the truth in love. And James here speaks of turning sinners from the errors of their ways. He says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way. Now this word sinner is used all but exclusively in the New Testament to refer to those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. So it would seem to be here that James has in mind not just ministering to an erring believer, but evangelizing those who do not know the Lord as well. One who has wandered and one who doesn't know God. And here again, believers are to be the representatives of God ministering his word and his hope to others. Here are the things that you and I can communicate through the word of God. Because of Jesus, we do not have to live in sin. Because of Jesus, we do not have to live in defeat. Because of Jesus, we don't have to live for self. Because of Jesus, we don't have to fear. And because of Jesus, we can have hope of meaningful and eternal life. That is the message that God has given to us to proclaim. We can be used in this way in the lives of others. We can be the instrument to help bring others back to the Lord. We can be used of God to give them the gospel. And that is the calling of every Christian. You see, the knowledge of God and his salvation isn't enough. God expects us to do something with it. If you have a knowledge of God as your Savior, he has changed your life forever. He has changed your eternity. He has changed your reality on this earth. That you can walk in him. But that isn't the end of it. He's called you to go out and share that with other people. He's called you to be a part of a community of believers on this earth. As Proverbs says in Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. What is wisdom as defined in the scriptures? Wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's taking what you know and doing something with it. So take the God you know and do something with him. Minister for him. Live for him. Share the gospel with others because you know him. And you can be that instrument that God uses to reach the heart of another person. And you and I, we can come up with a myriad of reasons why we shouldn't reach out to others. Well, I'm too busy. Yeah, we're all pretty busy, right? Well, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. Well, I got other things I'm focusing on. I have, so many, I have so many shortcomings of my own. I mean, all these things crowd into our minds, right? How many of you have ever, ever, ever experienced an excuse why you should not share the gospel with somebody else? You ever experienced that in your own life? I mean, it may even be very reasonable. You know, there's a man in the Bible who had excuses of his own. You may have heard of him. He's a guy named Moses. And God came to Moses in the burning bush 
And he said to him, I want you to go before Pharaoh and I want you to, to, to tell him to let my people go. I want you to lead my people out of slavery into the promised land that I told Abraham, their father, I would give to him and his descendants. You know what Moses said? Can't speak. Not me. I love God's response. He says to him, who made man's mouth? God is greater than anything else in our life we think will hold us back from sharing the gospel, from ministering for him. It's not about us. It's about him. He gives us our calling and the power to complete that calling for him. Therefore, let us go and engage in his ministry. And you can know this experience firsthand by going and doing it. And James is very clear what a recipient of of that blessing gains. He says in the second part of verse 20, He said, we'll save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The one who returns to the Lord or comes to him for salvation from sin is saved from death and finds his sins covered. This reinforces for us that it is God working through his servants. Because no human being can deliver someone from death, from eternal death. And no human being can cover sins. That is a work that only God can do. When we repent of sin and we seek God's forgiveness, we will find it. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You realize that when you come to God and seek forgiveness and God forgives you of your sin, as he has promised to do, he does not store up your sin just to trot it out one day and say, well, remember all this? It is gone. It is forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. He removes our sin and places it on Jesus and the finished work of the cross. However, if we in our own lives try to cover up our sin, you and I will not be successful. In fact, we will be unable to cover sin from the eyes of an all-knowing God. Have you ever in your own life, you know, tried to cover something up that you knew was wrong? We probably think of kids, right, and the things they'll go through, you know, where they'll, they'll hide something and inevitably you'll find it because you tripped over it, right, and the truth, the truth outs, right? But even as adults, there are things that we entertain in our lives we know are sinful, and we take all of these steps to try not to get found out. How foolish is that before an all-knowing God? Again, I, I always think of a guy named Jonah. The Bible tells us he was a prophet. He was a messenger of the Lord. And the Bible tells us he went down to, when God called him to go to Nineveh, he went down to a ship that was going to Tarshish, which is the opposite side of, of the world, of the, of the known world then. Why? That This is literally what it says, that he might escape the presence of the Lord. And that's why I always sin. Hey, hey, listen, sin makes you stupid, right? It makes us do things that we look back on and we think, what was I thinking? That's what sin does. If we try to cover it up, if we try to come up with something for it, we're not going to find anything. We're not going to prosper. The Bible tells us that that it's not going to go well. But when God covers our sin, it is gone. It is taken away. 
If you are tired of the struggle of self, if you are tired of the nagging feelings of doubt, the unsurety of your soul, and you want true peace, I implore you to turn to God. To throw yourself on him as your personal Lord and Savior and find eternal rest. He will meet you in your need and will give you life in himself. You can settle your eternity today and find new and true life in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Christian, if you sit here today and you're sick of defeat, if you are tired of the show that you have to put on like you have it all together, and if you really want to see true victory and effectiveness for the Lord, then surrender to his will in your life today. What is it in your life that God has continued to hammer on in your life? This needs to change. This needs to change. This needs to change. And you say, no, no, no. You will not find true peace or joy until you surrender that to him. God is too gracious to leave us alone. God is too loving to let us flounder in sin. And he will do what it takes to root these things out of our hearts and lives. He will show you a life fulfilled as you obey him and submit yourself to him. The penalty of sin is death. But the hope of Jesus Christ is life eternal. And this is the ministry of the church. That that we share the gospel. We, We shine as a light in a dark world. Not just corporately, but individually. We go out and do this. And then we have a responsibility to one another as a community of believers to help each other grow in the Lord. Because we need each other. The church is a community of accountability, help, and support for believers and a light of the gospel to the lost world. There is a great responsibility given to God's church. We are to be ambassadors, ambassadors of his grace to others. God uses his faithful servants to call others to repentance and restore believers from sin. The ministry of evangelism and reconciliation isn't limited to a pastor, a counselor, or anyone with specific credentials. It is the responsibility of all of God's followers. I invite you to turn with me very quickly to the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. And he says, as he talks about the new man, he says in um, verse 16 of chapter 3, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's the picture of the church. Teaching and admonishing one another. You realize that that you have the opportunity to teach others the things of God. Just as as you share what God has done in your own heart and life. 
You know, I think oftentimes we think of teaching. I mean, that's what that guy stands up and does on Sunday or, you know, Wednesday night. Or Teaching happens pers- individually as well as corporately. And that word admonishing talks about, hey, this is what's going to happen if you continue down that path of sin. We are to do that as well on the basis of God's word. So who has God placed in your life that you need to reach with the gospel? How are you taking the opportunities that he has given you to cultivate those relationships and reach them for him? All too often, we let the excuses pile up and we are rendered ineffective for the Lord by our own doing. And let us never neglect the call to build community together and reach others for the Lord. This is, the great, this is a great and glorious ministry of the church. That God has given us this opportunity and the power to do so in him. And, and with this, we come to the end of the book of James. This is how our faith works. We are called, remember that the, the key phrase in the book of James comes in James chapter 1. We are called to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We are to be engagers with God and his great work, not sitting on the sidelines James says that faith without works is dead faith. And to this end, James has given very practical reminders and admonishments. In the face of trials and hard times, it is the Lord that we rest in. He tells us that sin must be dealt with God's way. And it is only through the word of God that we can be made whole and right. He says that favoritism and partiality have no place in the life of a Christian, but a genuine love and concern for all. He tells us that our tongues show our hearts, and the only way to find true control over the tongue is by submitting it in our hearts to God. God's wisdom is the only wisdom that is true and right. Relationships with others must be carried out in godly ways, and the only way to true peace is submission to God first. He tells us then that our perspective must always be filled with God's will as we travel this road of life day by day. And no matter what hardships we face, we can look patiently ahead to God's return and find true power for everyday life in prayer. But as we wrap up the end of this, let us not forget the prerequisite for the victorious Christian life, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. It is only through him that any of this is possible. And it is only through his grace that we can find the ability to live for him. If you take the book of James, and it's, it's 108 verses. And if you take these, these, these five chapters, and it's just some checklist. Well, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. You're going to find yourself living a very ungraceful life. You're living a, re- a religion, not a relationship. It will be a life of showing no true love to others. And my friend, you will rumble along in life very unhappy. And you will say things like, well, I did what God said. So why am I not happy? Because it takes a true relationship with him. It takes truly knowing him. And submitting ourselves to him. Let us not be content to sit in the pew of a church and keep to ourselves. The church is a community. And if you show up here once a week for your check-in at the church house, my friend, all I can say is I don't think you understand what church is. 
It's a place to find fulfillment serving the Lord corporately as we serve Him individually as well. Faith works. It works for salvation as Jesus is the only object of our faith. It then works for sanctification as we follow the word of God in the power of God to live a godly life. And as James learned from his half-brother Jesus, there is no greater joy than walking in the Lord and living for him. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to study your word together today. Lord, thank you for the many, many lessons that James has taught us. We ask, God, that you would help us to not just focus on the things that we are called to do, but the God that we are called to serve. And would you fill us with a desire to know him more, to live in his grace every day. Thank you, God, for the church, for this body of believers that you have established and you have kept. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of this. And Lord, we ask that you would help us not to take that for granted. But we live in a we live in a country where it's easy to worship God because we have the freedom to do so. And Lord, as such, sometimes our first world viewpoint colors our Christianity. Lord, would you make being a part of the body, a vital part of our lives. That we would see the need for it. And that you would help us to see the benefit of it. Would you help us to engage with one another, to build community, to build relationships that we might see accountability and growth. Lord, we would give you the honor and praise if you would give us the opportunity to reach as a local body, our local community with the hope of the gospel. Be with us now as we close this service and as we prepare to go on um, our separate ways. I pray that you would continue to use your word in our hearts today. Help us to, whatever it may be, if you have, if you have put your finger on our hearts and showed us we don't have a relationship with you, Lord, would you give that person boldness to seek someone out today that they would know you as Savior. For Christians, Lord, as you've shown us our sin and the things that we do or don't do that we should be doing or should not be doing, would you give us the courage and the boldness to make that right? Lord, it may involve going to another person and seeking help or, or, or asking their forgiveness, and Lord, would you help us to do that, that we can live in a way that honors you. Bring us back tonight to worship you. In your name we pray.